This path will lead you to an unholy place, a cemetery. Hello everybody, Foggy Jack here, the Lost Boy, Oddball of Magic, and the host of the Foggy Jack 13 Podcast. I'll meet you down in the pumpkin patch where the haunters meet the haunted. then pursued his aviation career flying airplanes, seaplanes, gliders, gyroplanes, helicopters, balloons, and fighter-type aircraft. While attending high school in Switzerland, Lear became the youngest American to climb the Matterhorn in Zermatt. In 1968, he pylon raced a Douglas B-26 Invader in the Reno Air Races, the largest aircraft ever raced at Reno at the time. At age 28, he was one of the youngest Boeing 707 captains to fly in commercial airline service. A former Nevada State Senate candidate, John is the son of William P. Lear, Sr., designer of the Learjet executive aircraft, the eight-track stereo, and founder of Lear Incorporated, now Lear Siegler Corporation, a large defense contractor. Lear has written extensively about airplanes and other subjects and was Middle East correspondent for Combat Illustrated between 1975 and 77 while stationed in Beirut, Lebanon with a cargo airline. Although Lear's father was outspoken in his belief of the existence of extraterrestrial visitors, to the great concern of the Pentagon, uh, by the way, particularly because Lear Sr. was head of a large defense contracting company. John only became interested in the subject himself seven years ago after talking with an Air Force pilot who was stationed at Bentwaters Air Force Base near London, England, where three small aliens were photographed by the Air Force, actually photographed by the Air Force, walking up to Wing Commander General Gordon Williams. Lear's extensive worldwide civilian, military, and intelligence contacts have made it easier for him to penetrate the secrecy surrounding the subject of UFOs. Then, in 1988, John became acquainted with a government scientist who worked at Area S-4, part of the super-secret Area 51 at the Nevada test site. The scientist was a member of the most classified government research team then in existence. It was their job to research and try to duplicate the propulsion system of nine recovered alien aircraft in storage at the Nevada test site. Lear is an amateur astronomer and photographer and has won several awards for his photos taken during his worldwide travels. He owned and campaigned the 12-meter America's Cup boat soliloquy out of Marina del Rey, California for two years. He is vice president of the General's Ward and Chenault Post No. 1, the Soldier of Fortune Post of the American Legion and a member of the Special Operations Association. John currently is chief pilot for a cargo airline, flies Boeing 727s throughout the Caribbean and South America. Lear has four daughters, lives in Las Vegas with his wife, Marilee, a former actress and youngest daughter, Jacqueline, 15. His hobbies include gardening, carpentry, and UFOs. <laughs> I added the last. And... Um, 
So away we go uh, without any further introduction, and that just about did it. Uh, here is John Lear. Good morning, John Lear. How are you doing? Good. Good to hear you again. Great. Uh, John, there's been an awful lot of stuff going on, and that's, that's mainly why I had you back besides the general discussion, which we always end up in. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to ask about. Number one is, is my sighting. Um, now, I don't know if you've heard anything about this or not, but I'll tell you, John, uh, I really did see a couple of things that maybe nothing more than, you know, falling something or others. Uh, but on my way in from Peron toward Las Vegas, I have now seen in, in three different times what I... I, I, I don't know what it was, John. It looked, uh, it looked on the one hand a little bit like a falling star. I've seen falling stars all life. And uh, this was not uh, typical of a falling star. It was more like I've described it as a green fireball trailing uh, fire behind it uh, in a, tra a trajectory uh, across the sky. It wasn't small. It wasn't like a typical falling star that we've all seen for years. It was, and I'll tell you why I'm mentioning this, John. It's because I said it on the air. And you wouldn't believe the uh, derogatory that I've received. I didn't, I joke around, said it's seed pod or something coming down. Uh, but, but that was just a joke. And uh, for having seen this and reported on it, you can't believe the mail that I've received, John. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and so that set me to think, if that got me that kind of mail, and I said at the time, could a falling star? I don't know, but sure was strange. Uh, I can understand what you've gone through. Well, it's been uh, been quite an adventure since uh, I accidentally got into this in 1985. It sure has. Um, I bet. I bet. Uh, do you get uh, John quite a quite a bit of uh, abusive? Uh, come on, what kind of nut are you? Kind of no. No, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've got any of those at all. Maybe really, one or two in the last uh, five years. Oh, I, I got all kinds of, you know, art to take a vacation, art to uh, work in these guys must have gotten to you, it's really, but I really did see these things, John. I don't suppose you have any thought or have heard anybody else uh, uh, talk about it. Green fireballs is what were. Well, uh, it could have been the uh, shortest helicopter, right? All unknown, John. Nor was it pump gas uh, here in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> It may have been uh, a gigantic falling star. I have no way of knowing, John, but... Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of uh, reports in 19... I think it was 48, 49, and 50 in New Mexico, green fireballs. Uh, lots of those. Uh, I haven't heard too many recently, but uh, there certainly was back then. I could only describe it as trailing fire and sparks and so on, and, so on, and uh, the sucker was really moving. I mean, it just went across the trajectory uh, in the sky in just, oh, I don't know, four or five seconds. Uh, it was really moving. Oh, there's a lot of strange things flying Yes, there are. Out in my valley, John, I see some mighty strange stuff. Uh, all right. I watched, uh, I don't suppose you had to see sightings last night, did you? No, I thought what was on. Um, sightings last night uh, did a little segment on uh, angels. And uh, I hate to start in on this so early, but uh, they commissioned the Gallup poll people to do a poll and ask the American people how many, by percentage, believe in angels. 
This will surprise you. 65% of the American people, according to uh, according to Gallup, believe in angels. How about that? Well, it lights in a sense, because if that many people can believe in angels, I would think that also a very, very high percentage could believe that these UFOs um, are, are more than just something uh, identified. Oh. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, I think it would. Okay, um, I, I've got a number of other things I want to cover with you. Um, the Associated Press, a couple of days ago, John, uh, reported on a very close call for Earth. At first I thought that it was an old report, but then they began to say, as we slept last night, a two-mile-wide asteroid passed within two million miles of Earth, which they considered to be just close within a, uh, a cosmic uh, blink. And I note that in all of these, and there have been several instances like this lately, John, they always tell us about it after it has passed. Can, John, can you hold on a sec? We've got to do a break. Stand by. Radio in the nighttime from the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell with John Lear. And we're going to be talking uh, UFOs and other strange things this morning. So uh, back to it we go, and John. John, um, that was a big rock. I mean, a two-mile-wide asteroid that passed right by. Well, they wouldn't tell us right after. I think that happened about six months ago, but... Uh... Yes, it did. Yes, it did. That's what I'm recalling, and it's been a series of these, John. Uh, are we just going to sort of not wake up one day? Uh, probably be like that. I remember a couple years ago they got uh, Dan Quayle head of some deal that was supposed to, to uh, look out in space and see if there are any asteroids headed this way. Everybody poo-pooed it. Uh, I, I recall the time, oh, what a waste of money, they said. But I'm tired of hearing this uh, about all this, um, like a baseball score, you know. Um, it seems to me, aren't we keeping track of these things? Shouldn't we be? Well, it seems so. There's uh, uh, certainly uh, a lot of them out there. Well, here's the big $64,000 question, John. Suppose they saw one headed our way that wasn't going to miss. Would they just... <laughs> Uh, intercepted him, and he thought, well, well, I'll go along with him. They can't prove anything, and then shot him down when they got him over Russia. Holy mackerel. But they couldn't prove it one way or the other, and they didn't want to risk the 707s, which I was flying. So they uh, they went another way, and it's my understanding. I didn't participate in, in, in the other one, but I, it's my understanding they went through Dubai, which would just cross uh, the Persian Gulf into Tehran. And you're pretty confident that uh, because they have officially closed this, which was my reference the other day, uh, that... Uh, they will not, upon hearing what you've just said, reopen it, or there'll be cries to reopen it? No, I don't think so, because they'd have to let uh, Russ Bucker testify, and he's the SR-71 pilot that brought him back, and they just wow. don't want to get into it. Wow. Well, we just uh, killed one hour dead, John, uh, so stand by, relax, get some coffee or whatever, and we'll come back and do another. Okay. All right, stay right there. <laughs> American Southwest, I'm Art Bell, back with John Lear in a moment. And I, uh, responding uh, to uh, what John said, I know John's listening right now, um, I regard uh, the possibility of aliens and UFOs 
In the same way, I guess I do, as the existence of the Creator. And uh, that has always been a problem for me. I'm probably an agnostic, I, I would say, an agnostic. People will call me and tell me, you must admit the presence, you must accept him. And I know all that. I've heard all that a million times. But I'm the kind of person that has such a hard time accepting something I can't put my finger on, something that I can't prove. And... Um, I'm still that way, uh, and that leads me into a position where I appear to vacillate back and forth, and I do. I don't. I don't. I can't say it ex uh, that, that that our Lord exists. I hope He exists. I believe He exists, but in terms of absolutely my being able to say He exists, I don't know that I can. Uh, and that that the same thing applies uh, with uh, with UFOs, which I have never seen. Anyway, we'll get back to it in, in just a moment. You're listening to the CBC and BRN radio networks, the perfect gift. Here, here we are again. Oh, I, I'm sure you heard what I had to say at the top of the hour. Yeah. And uh, it is kind of that way, John. I, I'm, I just am not an absolute believer, nor a disbeliever. My mind is open. I am impressed with the number of sightings and the things that we've talked about. In fact, it's frightening. But without hands-on... You can't make that final, or I can't, I should say, make that final step, that leap to, yes, they exist. But you can't, you have, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Um, but if you'd have walked in my shoes for the last five years and had access to all the information I had, you'd probably believe as I do. Yeah. All right. Um, so they are real. What are they, John? I, that's what a lot of people want to know that haven't listened before. What are the creatures that are in these flying things? Well, I used to say that there was uh, 80 different species visiting us. There's probably more. There's, there's certainly more than that out in the universe. And there's all different kinds. Uh, there's these little gray uh, people that, that do the abductions. There's one that lives, ones that look just like us. And there's also, you know, some awfully uh, weird ones. There's just about any, any ones that you can imagine. What are they... <laughs> what do they want? Well, supposedly, uh, at least according to the documents that uh, were read by uh, Bob Lazar at the, at the test site, uh, we are an experiment. Uh, we uh, were ge genetically uh, um, changed, uh, genetically experimented with. They made, I think, uh, 65 separate collections to make us what we are now, which is containers. Uh, they refer to us as containers. What we contain uh, wasn't specified in the documents. You can speculate uh, it might be souls, it might be blood, it might be enzymes. But in any case, the, the aliens refer to us as containers, and, and they made these containers. Now, uh, according to the documents he read, uh, uh, they also engineered the world's major religions. Uh, and they did that in an effort to uh, organize and pacify. They created uh, uh, the miracles so that we would believe in an entity, uh, so we'd, we would, uh, you know, not go off and uh, uh, rape and murder and pillage and that kind of stuff. We were given the Ten Commandments to live by, mainly so that they could organize and pacify and keep us all going in the, in the same general direction. They are our creators. Supposedly, yeah. Are, are you? Is that one of those things you're certain about, or does that hang in the air more as a theory, John? Well, it's uh, it's looking more and more correct. Uh, who knows what the truth is? Huh. 
what I want to do, I, I want to start taking a few calls, John, and we'll kind of uh, uh, hopscotch our way through the night here. A uh, lot of people that want to talk to you, and I, I should service some of these blinking lines, so let us sporadically begin doing that. Uh, good morning. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Uh, good. Where are you? Washington State. In the state of Washington. Okay, you're on the air with John Lear. Yes, uh, Mr. Lear, do you um, believe that there may possibly be some sort of an invasion um, where they are taking over um, phone lines, flashing messages over televisions and so forth? Do you believe this can be a possibility? All right, thank you. That would be a pretty open operation, wouldn't it, John? Uh, yeah, if the government itself wasn't doing that, uh, certainly uh, the alien could probably be doing it. Boy, I got, I got a funny uh, fax the other day, John. Uh, listen to a little bit of this. If you use a modem, you are monitored. Every time you fire up the modem, you activate automatic monitoring equipment. I work for a large telephone network that routinely monitors modem and fax transmissions. They view whatever is transmitted, even encrypted data. Your government allows this under the heading maintenance monitoring in the FCC rules. Monitoring can continue for six months without legal procedure. The rules are part of an obscure pre-World War II action by the FCC's predecessor agency saying no information may, may be encoded or transmitted over public or private forms um, uh, of, of telephone or radio with the exception of government agencies involved in national security. So they, they monitor fax and modem transmissions. Our government monitors all of this stuff. Well, I was told the other day that uh, not only that, but they, they can monitor your house through your cable for your TV. I had a friend who worked for a cable company. He said it was very highly sophisticated. Uh, he stopped short of saying that they could actually uh, watch you, but they can certainly monitor you through uh, the cable TV. This comes, by the way, from a fellow ham radio operator uh, who works for a, a company that does this kind of work um, up in the Bay Area, so he knows what he's talking about. And uh, I guess just about everything is certainly is monitored. Uh, have you ever been concerned about that, John, on a personal basis? Certainly, if I were in the government, I think I would monitor John Lear very carefully. Uh, no, I don't worry about it because uh, I know what goes on. In 1987, just after my uh, series of lectures here, and I appeared on TV a couple times, um, I have a couple of teenagers here, and the Centel guy was up here uh, putting in some phones, and he came in uh, one morning and said, Hey, John, do you know your, your phone's tapped? And I said, Really? And he said, wow. do you want me to find out where? And I, I said, yeah. So he went out and he came back about a half an hour later and this guy said, uh, you know, I went from behind your house up to the pole then I went over to Monroe Street and then down Hollywood Boulevard and then down to Nellis and down to Bonanza. And he says, it's further than that. He said, I'll be back in a little while. I want to I check what's going on. So he didn't come back until the next morning. And when he came back, he said, John, uh, uh, I can't talk to you anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm not going to be on another route. He said, what happened is I got traced your uh, phone tap to the mainframe at Centel. And he said, I went to the FBI, and the lady there said that if I didn't like my job, I could quit. 
She said, so I went home last night, thought about it, I went into work this morning, and that same lady was walking out of my boss's office and said the same thing to me. So they made it very clear that if I made any noise that, uh, that I wouldn't have my job. And I know who the guy is. He's still, I know where he works. And a couple of the other Centel guys uh, often come by and say, so-and-so says to say hello to you. So, not John, that's creepy, but it's not a surprise. There's no question in my mind that, uh, that we're monitored. Uh-huh. Um, I, I guess then your attitude just becomes, who cares? Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm above board, and uh, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, or does it intimidate you to know that? It doesn't intimidate me. Everything's on the up and up. I'd like to expose some of this uh, stuff that's going on. I, I don't think a lot of it is, is, is right. Uh, but it doesn't seem like we can do much about it. Mm -hmm. Wild card line three, you're on the air. Coast to coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Art. Where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from Mesa. Mesa, Arizona. They made it very clear that if I made any noise that uh, that I wouldn't have my job. And I know who the guy is. He's still, I know where he works. And a couple of the other Centel guys uh, often come by and say, so-and-so says to say hello to you. So, huh, John, that's creepy, but it's not a surprise. There's no question in my mind that, uh, that we're monitored. Uh-huh. Um... I guess then your attitude just becomes, who cares? Uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm above board, and uh, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, or does it intimidate you to know that? It doesn't intimidate me. Everything's on the up and up. I'd like to expose some of this uh, stuff that's going on. I, I don't think a lot of it is, is, is right, uh, but it doesn't seem like we can do much about it. Mm -hmm. Wild card line three, you're on the air. Coast to coast to him with our phone, John Lear. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Art. Where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from Mesa. Mesa, Arizona. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask him if it would surprise him to know that uh, Clinton's mother's maiden name was Rockefeller and that uh, his real name is William Jefferson B-L-Y-T-H-E the fourth. Right. Right. The fourth. Is all of that a surprise to you, Joe? Uh, no, I think what he's saying is, is everybody's connected that goes in the government. We, we think that we're getting somebody new, but uh, really the president of the United States is just a figurehead. It really doesn't, doesn't uh, make any difference in there. Good morning, everybody. One of those nights, we've got John Lear with us, and some of the information you're hearing and will hear will be very troubling, even, even frightening to some. And if, if you are one of those people, please now turn off, go to bed, have a good night sleep, and we'll see you some other morning. For the rest of you, we now continue. Uh, John, um, uh, clean out the Petri dish is where we left off, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I've got to say, John, since the ending of this Cold War, here we are in Somalia, you and I talked about that the other morning here in the air, and there are, uh, how many other Somalias out there? The, uh, this earth, John, is a mess right now. It is the most unorganized warlike mess I've ever seen. Well, yeah, you're right on that. I was just wondering why it'll all become apparent to us in about six months, and, and I really don't know what the reason is, but there's obviously a method to this madness of going into Somalia. Um, I'm troubled uh, by the whole operation, and I see it as the first step in the grand new world order. Uh, John, I wonder if you view it the same way. 
Well, I don't know about the, the New World Order, but there are some very strange things going on. By the way, the, for the guy who wanted uh, Rustbacher's address, uh, you can write to his wife. Her first name is R-A-Y-D-L-A-N, Ray Allen Rustbacher, R-U-S-S-B-A-C-H-E-R, and it's post office box 3078, Carmel, California, and the zip is 93921, and she's trying to help get him out. But uh, back to the uh, back to Somalia, um, it certainly is a, uh, a strange area. I was back there in 1977 uh, during uh, a, uh, an arms airlift there when we went in after the Somalis uh, kicked the Russians out. And we wanted that uh, Berbera, that deep water port on the Red Sea. Right. And uh, what happened is that the Somalis traditionally had uh, been supported by Russia, and the Ethiopians, who they were fighting, were traditionally supported by the West. Uh, and But they didn't have any ammunition, but they had the guns. Uh, so since they changed different sides, uh, we had to get the uh, the Russian uh, or the what they call East Block ammunition to the Somalis. So I was in an airlift uh, that left from uh, uh, Hungary through Saudi Arabia down there. It went on for months, I think three or four months, uh, taking ammunition down there so that they could fight the war. We took East Block ammunition. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, it was coordinated right at the very top of the uh, State Department. Um, we had to get the ammunition somehow, so there was kind of a high-level trade going on. And I don't know where the West Block ammunition, I think it came out of uh, Vietnam. This was in, in 1977, so there was a lot left over from there. Sure is incest- incestuous, isn't it, this arms thing? Uh... Well, again, back to the broader uh, picture, John. Uh, they claim absolutely no national security interest whatsoever, purely humanitarian. And uh, I'm sure they would say the same thing if Bosnia is our next object of, uh, uh, of attention. I have felt rather manip- manipulated all the way through this, John, as though we saw all the pictures of the starving and we were emotionally worked up and they prepared us. The media literally prepared us for what we're now doing over there. And uh, it, it, would I be wrong in saying I was manipulated? Well, you were manipulated, but uh, to what end, I'm not sure. I know it was a lot easier going into Somalia than it would have been going into Bosnia. Well, support for the elation. And if it is a success, uh, there are many, many already calling for uh, Bosnia to be the next uh, the next one. And uh, from there, why, there's a whole list of places we could intervene in and try and make this a better world to live in. Uh, we certainly have to find an enemy because we have billions, hundreds of billions of dollars being spent on defense. And we're not flying a Mach 8 aircraft 285,000 feet airdrops into Somalia. So uh, I'm sure that uh, if there's not uh, a legitimate enemy out there, that, that uh, they can certainly uh, whip up an enemy for us to fight. All right. Another quick break, John. We'll be right back. And, I, you know, that's a good question, exactly why off-flying that aircraft. It's a aircraft. And John has some strong views in many areas, including... Uh, I 
it's our political course in this uh, country as well. And uh, back now to John. John, exactly why are we developing the Aurora aircraft? And well, you know, the exact same question that you just asked was asked by uh, Senator Robert Byrd, who is the chairman of the Senate House Appropriations Committee, committee. And he went to the Deputy Secretary of Defense and said, hey, what, what is that airplane that goes Mark 8? We don't uh, don't see anything in the, uh, in the budgets. Now, Senator Byrd is one of 16 people who is allowed to see everything in black budgets. So he said, I don't remember signing anything on There's that. There's nothing under there. So they had another, some other questions, too. Uh, NBC, April 20th, ran a story about saucer-like objects over Groom Lake. Yep. Channel 13 has some strange lights uh, that they photographed over Groom Lake. Aviation Week, May 11th and August 24th, had uh, pictures of strange contrails. You know, there were those skyquakes in Southern California. Wall Street Journal comes out with a story. Uh, all these things seem to say that there was something strange going on. So the Senate, so Byrd sent out a guy to uh, Las Vegas here last Saturday with Dick D'Amato, senior legislative aide, and he was going to make a surprise trip to Groom Lake, and he told us that, uh, you know, if there was stuff going on and it wasn't through the, the normal budget, that Byrd, he, he was going to pull the plug on Area 51. Uh-huh. So he goes up there on Monday to uh, to Groom Lake to, to tour around and see if any of that stuff is there that we are saying is there, uh, namely Aurora uh, S4, uh, the disc down at S4, the uh, the new unfunded secret airport called Sandia next to uh, Paiu Mesa. And uh, he went up to Groom Lake. As fate would have it, it was snowed in that day, and they told him that uh, that they couldn't take him anywhere because of the snow. He said he wanted to go down to S4, and they said, oh, you've been talking to that Bob Lazar guy, huh? <laughs> so uh, apparently he's going to go back in two weeks, and they said that they would take him down there in two weeks, but they wouldn't find anything. They told him that, they, uh, that there was nothing there. So I imagine two weeks will give him enough time to move stuff out. And there won't be anything there. I don't have anything against black budgets or anything against secret projects, but when you consider the American taxpayer is footing the bill for these operations and all likelihood is paying two or three times the real cost for the legal budget programs to support the black budget programs, you know, you might want to know who the enemy is that we're really preparing to fight. Well, that was the nature of my question. Uh, why do, what do we need this aircraft and for? Is, we have met the enemy and he is us. In the sense that uh, with a well-defined, understandable enemy or not, we're going to keep doing this, uh, period. Sure. Huh. Uh, Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM. We'll let and John Lee. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Lee from Mark. I would like to ask John if he has heard of L. Fletcher Prouty. Yes, sure. He was uh, Al Fletcher Prouty. One of four people laid up uh, composite Mr. X in uh, the movie in uh, JFK that Oliver Stone made. Correct. And I really got an enlightenment about Vietnam and why Vietnam happened. Yeah, also Fletcher uh, Prouty wrote a book uh, about 20 years ago called The Secret Team, and he's just recently written another one that elaborates on that. Yeah, Prouty's one of the good guys. All right, thank you, ma'am. Thanks for Appreciate life. your call. John, I, I'm going to ask you to comment on a, a kind of a general topic here. One of the good guys, you said. The UFO community 
and it's pretty large. Uh, there are a lot of people who talk and lecture. Uh, you're probably one of the most affected to be king of the... And uh, there is an unbelievable amount of dissension uh, in, uh, among UFOologists. Well, why? Uh, what's going on here? Why is there so much dissension? Is it not the other day they had gone to their first UFO conference? Everybody would be more like generally alone, but it's, it's, it's not the case. There is a lot of uh, different views as to grind. The Bill Coopers who were real out on, on uh, well, yeah. the one end, and the Linda Howes who were out on the other end. Exactly. And uh, most of us, uh, you know, trying to bring some sensible uh, sense to the thing, and uh, it, it's just difficult to do. Everybody has a different different axe to grind. I've noticed that uh, every time uh, well, the two people don't agree, the standard thing seems to be to accuse the other guy of being a CIA disinformation. Uh, <laughs> Operative. That is the standard, uh, standard uh, modus operandi. In other words, if you don't agree with me, you've got to be CIA. This Absolutely. has to be uh, disinformation, and uh, boy, these charges and countercharges just flying, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take some more calls. Good morning on the first time caller line. You're on the East Coast AM with our phone charger. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Where are you calling from, sir? Susanville. Susanville. All right. Turn your radio off and go ahead, John. It's right here. Okay. How you doing, John? Hey, pretty good. How you doing? Well, I've got him. Uh, my comment, John, is uh, you were talking about uh, how the... Uh, uh, how to explain the thing. It's difficult. Um... I'm thinking the Christian thinking is uh, this thing came out the way that you're talking. All the Christians, or a good percentage of the Christians, would probably uh, um, have a second thought about Christ. And uh, that is uh, the reason that uh, the government is kind of holding this back. Is that the way you're trying to explain it? Well, that's correct. But when you say all the Christians, you know, you, you think you're talking about a lot of people. Remember, there's 6 billion people on this planet, and, you know, 5 billion of them aren't waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah. Well, uh, how about the idea of maybe uh, Satan, who is supposed to be running this world, uh, prior to Jesus returning, uh, drumming up this uh, infatuation. Well, Jesus Satan, is there Jesus Christ? You know, you look on both aspects and the way the Bible reads, I think, is that Satan is supposed to be running this world until uh, uh, Christ returns, and uh, maybe this is the, the big play that Satan is playing. Well, that, that could be, yeah, but as I knows, I try to stay out of the religious aspect of this because it just, I think, to nuts and bolts, you know, if you want to talk about gravity amplifiers and, and uh, antibody reactors, that's what I like to talk about, uh, but uh, I, I, I kind of screw the religious aspect. Well, I'm open-minded myself. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I still uh, am open-minded to these uh, 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 UFOs and, and what have you. But uh, uh, I'll uh, stand by here and, and listen a little bit more of this program or watch it on television as I'm doing through the satellite. So yeah. uh, I appreciate the call. All right. All right, sir. We appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Um, 
It is, uh, it is inevitable that uh, people want to mix the uh, religious aspect into it somehow, and there, there really is, it's just that when we don't talk about it, it really gets a lot of people angry, uh, which is exactly why, exactly why the government won't release all this in, in information, isn't it? Exactly. It's tough to talk about it. A lot of people have grown up with that belief, and, and uh, they really believe it, and, and uh, it just could cause a lot of problems. So I, you can see the point of view of not opening the door in the first place. Well, you are correct that five billion people are not waiting for Christ to return. Uh, of that billion, uh, quite a significant number of them are here in this country, and uh, it would disturb them greatly. Right. All right. Um, let's take one more quick break here, John. Stand by a sec. Uh, you're listening to John Lear on the CBC and BRN radio network. And again, I say, if this is all going to disturb you, then turn it off. Don't keep listening to see how disturbed you can really get. It was human form that was on the uh, earth at that time, and that's what the 64 corrections were made from. Uh, they didn't clear them from, uh, from uh, the beginning. Then our ancestor, ancestors... Um, are some other sort of space creature that was modified genetically into what, whatever we are right now? Oh, whatever was here. It's my understanding they genetically uh, altered whatever it was here. There is, I believe, uh, turning to reality, uh, or, or a hard documentable uh, reality, uh, there is a missing link. There is a period of time, and they just cannot calculate how mankind made the jump, made the leap, how the intelligent aspect of man was. And there is uh, that, in, in hard science, there is that uh, that area, is there not, John? Yeah, uh, it's tough to believe uh, uh, when you figure out what the odds are, either uh, there's two general beliefs that we evolved from... Uh, uh, matter that fell out of a, you know, out of a comet landed in the sea, and then you started off with a slime, and then something crawled up on the beach, and right. we eventually evolved from that. I mean, so there's only, that we know of in 18 billion years, the, the, the greatest odds that you can think of wouldn't have permitted man to, uh, to have uh, genetically uh, come from that kind of a, a, a sequence of events. The other is that the man was made out of clay, so... Uh, you can you can pick those, or as Gene Hoff says, uh, you can be an externalist and believe that we were modified uh, by an external factor. Um, all right, this brings me to something else then, John. All of these abductions, these cattle mutilations, if uh, it, it kind of gives uh, credibility to what you've said, because if we are in effect an experiment. Surely those conducting the experiment would, from time to time, need information to continue the experiment or decide not to, heaven help us. Um, and so then, would that, would that be the reason for the abduction? Inevitably, they talk about medical exams. They were examined medically, John. Right. That, that might be the very reason for these abductions. It, uh, all of the abductions are, are kind of a medical exam. They, they put something here and put something there. Sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's not. But, but that would, you know, they're checking to see how the experiment is going and, and whether it's time to clean out the Petri dish or not. <laughs> All right, uh, Wild Card Line 3, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hi. Good morning. Um, John, yes. I'm not being personally argumentative. It's just that I have a set of ideas, too, and I'm, I kind of think it's challenging to think this way because we all want answers. But um, how would you explain 
near-death experience. And that would be my first question. Secondly, you say not to turn it into religion. I've never been religious per se, like I don't go to church and I don't believe in that. But I have a very strong sense of a God figure for many other reasons. And having been an atheist when I was young, read a lot of uh, books by people who gave me better answers than a Bible as far as factually, could man create God or God create man? And, and I'm a real strong believer, okay, yeah. in, a, in a beginning and a creator. Um, I would say that uh, as far as they go, I don't say they're not real. I've never explained, even on our Bell show, my experience with it. All right. All right. There has been some. All right. We're going to have to hold it there. Listen on the radio. We'll get you an answer. Uh, it is an interesting area, John, this business of uh, uh, near-death or um, death experiences. Uh, you know, the bright light and the bit. Uh, so many have had it, John. Any any thoughts on the matter? Of my personal opinion uh, that uh, the soul goes on forever and ever. And that when you depart this body, there is a, a short time when, when you can see down and see what's going on before you go to wherever it is we go. Now, uh, reincarnation uh, was something that Jesus taught. But at the first meeting of uh, Nikkei, I think, which was uh, in uh, 325 A.D., and then there was also uh, a meeting in Constantinople about uh, in, in 1200 A.D., uh, they modified the what we call the King James Version of the Bible, and they took a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, they really took about 95% of what Jesus taught out of there. One of the things they took out was... You can see down and see what's going on before you go to wherever it is we go. Now, uh, reincarnation uh, was something that Jesus taught. But at the first meeting of uh, Nikkei, I think, which was uh, in uh, 325 A.D., and then there was also uh, a meeting in Constantinople about uh, in, in 1200 A.D., uh, they modified the what we call the King James Version of the Bible, and they took a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, they really took about 95% of what Jesus taught out of there. One of the things they took out was uh, the idea of reincarnation. Uh, I do personally believe in that, and I believe the soul goes on and on and on. Uh, so that's the the, uh, the answer, or, or what I think the answer is to the near-death experiences. Um, okay, this is going to get into the area that I was afraid of, but I can't resist. Containers, vessels, that's what we are. Possibly containers or vessels for the human soul uh, that we're now talking about. Possibly in experiments uh, with the soul. What, John, pure speculation, do you suppose our creators, our uh, alien scientists that have created us, what use would they have for the human soul? Well, I don't know. Um, apparently, there's a, a lot of interest by one species, um, the greys, uh, in emotions. And uh, they, they take a lot of time to uh, apparently talk to the abductees about emotions. I've heard of experiments they do uh, with people to create emotions. For instance, there was a case down in Florida where a guy was abducted and he was put in a, uh, uh, a long uh, curving corridor with two children. And uh, down one end, as bizarre as this may sound, here comes a fire-breathing breathing dragon. 
So he turns around, runs the other way, and there's a door. He goes into the door, and there's a barrel. And his decision was, does he put one kid in each barrel and, and let the dragon eat him, or does he get in the one barrel himself and try and put the other two in there, or, uh, or what? And this was one of the experiments, uh, and I don't remember how it came out, but this is one of the experiments they do uh, in trying to either understand uh, or experiment with emotions. So then you might conclude that emotions, anger, jealousy, all the strong ones, um, have some, some, some value to them. Possibly, yeah. Or, or they are themselves some sort of energy that can be used in, in, some, in some way? Well, apparently, uh, at least according to the adductees, the, the, uh, the graves don't understand it. They don't have emotions themselves, uh, at least like we do, and they're trying to understand uh, the emotions as we feel them. Wow. Wow. Well, we're plotting a lot of new territory uh, this morning. It's very, very interesting. Um, let's pick up another call quickly. Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Hi. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Art. I have two uh, quick questions, and I'll listen to them off the air. Number one, what these, these are people that have been abducted by aliens and been experimented on. Have they ever suffered ill effects when they get back to Earth from the medical experiences? Second question, has John Lear ever known many Navy aviators, and has he ever had a desire, or has he ever landed on an aircraft carrier? And I'll hang up and listen. You John? Uh, the first one was about it, that piece, and what was the question? That First of all, I don't think they leave Earth. Uh, some of them uh, go maybe a short ways out, but most of them has done uh, relatively close here. Yes, they do suffer ill effects. Some of them are quite traumatized by the experience. That's why they form these encounter groups where they can uh, talk to, uh, to others who have had the same experience. Uh, Hawkins is quite active in, in those type of groups where they try to help people who have been uh, traumatized by this. Oh, right, John. Did you see the one on the sightings of who had the returning red marks on his belly? No, but I've heard about that case. Oh, well, similar to it. Yeah, I, let's talk a little bit about that. I've got a break coming up, so uh, stand by, John. We'll, we'll do that in just a maybe a naval aviator's question, because I want to answer that. All right, all right. We'll just leave the CBC and BRN networks. I'm Mark Bell with John Lear. And uh, we're going to continue through the night with some pretty strange stuff. Frightened by all this sort of thing. Turn your radio off. Don't expose yourself to something that could be harmful to you personally. Now for the rest of you with strong constitutions, let's continue. Uh, good morning again, John. Uh, let's cover what we were going to. Uh, we'll get to the naval aviators. Okay. Uh, but the lasting effects, and I was telling you about the fellow with the returning red marks uh, that I think was on sightings, a very convincing uh, uh, case. How many people have physical effects that endure? Well, I don't know. what You, you mean percentage-wise? Well, I mean, uh, how many have you ever heard of? I, you've looked into so many of these cases, you've no more. Lots, lots. They all have a little that little scoop that's uh, taken out uh, as far as uh, physical things. A little scoop? A little scoop of skin that's taken out. They have a mark on their ankle or their leg or, or their arm or something. Uh, they're told that it's, uh, they're just taking genetic material from back to wherever they come from. Uh, interestingly, our own government 
has recently announced that it has begun a program of gathering uh, first on the military and then probably others, uh, blood samples for genetic recording. Yeah. Where that, were you? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, naval aviators, have you ever landed on an aircraft carrier? First of all, he asked if I ever knew any, and I said, uh, uh, my answer is yes, I was taught by a naval aviator how to first how to fly. Uh, he was a transport pilot, his name was Hal Herman. Uh, he used to live in Montague, California, I don't know whether he's still there or not. Uh, but I've known a lot of Navy pilots. Have I landed on a carrier? No. But to me, that would be the most exciting experience uh, to land on a carrier with a hundred and a quarter visibility uh, on a pitching deck at night. That would be uh, the epitome of airmanship. And I know that there's a lot of guys that have done it. Would you endeavor to do it if you had the chance? <laughs> well, I certainly need a lot more training than I have now, but, but that really takes airmanship is to land those jets on the pitching uh, deck at night in extremely low visibility. Now, John, I'm told if that what that, what you have just described is one of the most terrifying things any pilot can ever do. Oh, you can imagine, because, you know, they don't have all that much fuel. It's not like they can say, well, if I miss, you know, I'll just go back to shore. You know, sometimes they're quite a ways from shore, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's their, that's their only chance. All right. Uh, very quickly, uh, we're short on time this hour. Wildcard Line 3, you're on the air coast-to-coast coast, and with Art Bell and John Lear. Not a lot of time. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, this is San Diego Castillo. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mr. Lear? Yes. Um, about the antimatter reactor? Yes. No, I saw, I bought the Bob Lazar video, and um, the last part, he goes, uh, he was taken in by the thermal uh, electric uh, generator. Yes. So that means that the gravitational system is electricity. No. Is that what they used to... Uh, the thermal electric generator is separate. That's what provides the positive volt for the operation of the trip. Uh, what the peak didn't describe and what the next one will describe is how the gravity wave uh, works. And uh, basically the gravity B wave forms like an electrostatic charge on the top of the antimatter reactor. Uh, and it's channeled and amplified through the wave guides down to the gravity amplifiers. And that's what's used to... Uh, to um, make the, the uh, pull the space towards you. All right, caller, we're out of time this hour, so I've got a scoop. Right. I guess uh, there'll be uh, yet another tape that will explain all this. John, we've got a break uh, for just a few minutes for the news, and we'll be right back. Okay. Stay right there. All right, how are you doing? You up for a few phone calls? Oh, you bet. All right. Uh, good morning. On the first time caller line, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with Art Bell and John Lear. Hi, I have two quick questions for Mr. Lear. Uh, number one, a little while ago you said we might start seeing something in about six months. And second of all, um, when is your next speaking engagement? All right. You want to take that on the air or right here? Uh, what, what was that? What did I say about six months? Uh, some the, the he well okay we'll we'll go ahead and take, take have him take it on the air. Um, he said that at one time you had stated you thought that perhaps something would become apparent to, uh, to the American people in about six months or something would start happening. Uh, like a, a German interviewer told me the other day, I'm a great researcher but a terrible prophet. <laughs> Uh, you were interviewed by the German press, is that correct? Uh, yeah, there was a guy in here, and a uh, very interesting guy. Uh, as far as my next speaking engagement, I, you know, I only give about two a year, and I don't have one planned. Two a year, and I don't have one planned. 
John. Uh, I want to take a few local calls here, John. Uh, let's see, line one, you're on the air coast to coast AM with John Lear and Art Bell. Good morning. Hi, I live here in Las Vegas. Right. And one morning at 9 o'clock, my son and I were going out to take the trash out, and over a junior high school on the western side of town, we saw an object that was somewhat triangular and hovering, and it hovered for 39 minutes. It changed its uh, attitude a number of times. It shined bright lights on us, and it changed its color a couple of times. It went up, it went down, it went diagonal back again. We watched it for a long time. I had two radio towers, two uh, airplane towers on the, I had two phone lines in the house. And these fellows could, I wish they could see it. They wanted to see it. They couldn't, but, and I could see North Las Vegas Tower from my home. I told this story to a couple of people, uh, two of which were in the Air Force, and they both cautioned me never to tell the story to anyone again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the date of that? That was about four years ago. And what size was it approximately? Uh, twice as big as the uh, stuff. Yeah. It went from silver to white. It changed color. My portable phone went dead, and I ended up on the... Uh, Regular phone. It was. It wasn't scary. It was fascinating. Yeah, a lot of that happens around the Las Vegas area, and they can fix it so that only the one that they want to see can see it. As in, you can even be in a crowd, and the rest of the people won't see it. And you're saying, well, "What do you mean you can't see it? It's right there." I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that either. And let's ask about that. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, uh, John. Any any explanation for the kind of technology that I don't know how they do that. Some sort of uh, uh, hypnosis, mass hypnosis, or uh, you know who who I guess could guess. Anyway, you don't know. Okay. Good morning. First time caller line. You're on the air with Art Bell and John Lear in Las Vegas. Yeah, I'd like to ask uh, John Lear if he's familiar with uh, Zachariah Sitchin and any of his writings regarding the Sumerian tablets. Yeah, I've read most of his books, and he's got some real good ideas. Uh, he's, he's probably on to a lot of good things there. And I just wondered how your your research is, uh, you know, if it ties in with any of his uh, things or, or not. Well, most of it, uh, uh, most of it ties right in. Uh, he had a particularly interesting one called The Twelfth Planet. Right. And uh, there's some very interesting aspects of that. should be uh, back around soon. I don't know, when did he say it was coming back? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Yeah. No, he yeah, has a real, real interesting set of books there. I would recommend that to uh, to anybody who is interested. In his his uh, research shows that uh, there's been visitation from other planets since you know back in those days. And uh, if, could you kind of confirm that? No, oh, no question about it. Uh, he has some very good evidence. But there's been all kinds of wars and, and monkeying around with the human race and, and modifying this and modifying that. But, uh, very good books. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you for the call. John AIDS. AIDS. AIDS looks like it's going to end up taking an awful lot of people out, uh, uh, John. And I guess it is your view that um, AIDS, which is a unique genetic bonder of cells, I mean, so unique as to almost be impossible, you would think, 
uh, engineered, engineered by humans, engineered by aliens, purpose, what do you know? Well, it's my personal opinion that it was uh, engineered by the government, specifically the U.S. government. Uh, that it was uh, specifically, wasn't, it wasn't an accidental release, it was specific, it was first released in Africa in, I think, 1975 uh, through the smallpox vaccine that was, uh, that was released for the AIDS virus. And then it was uh, released in the United States, I think, in 1978. Um, they specifically wanted to infect a large number of people, but I don't know why. And, and that's just opinion. All right. Uh, pretty dark opinion. <laughs> pretty awful to imagine our own government would have done that to us and the world. Purpose uh, unknown, population reduction possibly, Jim? Well, when you say population reduction, uh, uh, it seems that they want to infect people, but it would, it would certainly seem that there would be a, a, a better, a faster way of getting rid of large numbers of people. We would, uh, suppose they did infect, uh, infect everybody in the next five years. Uh, AIDS doesn't kill immediately, it takes one to ten years, and you would certainly overtax the uh, hospital's ability to respond to so many people long before you'd be uh, seeing a number of deaths. That's an awfully good point, Frank. First time caller line, you're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with John Lear and Art Belheim. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, let me give you a short story. I'm a, somewhat of a theologian and an amateur uh, ufologist. Uh, um, Do you find yourself in conflict? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, actually, no. Uh, I studied the Bible profusely. I was one of the original Jesus people. And, uh, you know, I used to go to bed at night with the uh, Bible on record. And, and uh, I, I find so many things being explained to me now by uh, recent phenomena and uh, people like John Lear. And, uh, of course, there are as many questions as there are questions answered. But, uh, you know, the, the human mind is a phenomenal uh, creation. And, uh, uh, you know, in, in addition to being somewhat of a theologian and a ufologist, I'm also an optimist. I do believe in, uh, in the, the reality of Jesus Christ. And, uh, uh, of course, not to dwell on the religious aspect, but I do believe that the book of Revelations is now being opened and revealed to us. And uh, the amazing things that uh, came across in that will be uh, revealed to us now, as it said, that they would be sealed until the last days. And uh, I have a couple questions. Let me get to them. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I just came across uh, some recent... Uh, um, uh, writings on the uh, Pleiades, the uh, constellation of Pleiades, and there seems to be a lot of uh, uh, tie-ins with that, and, uh, and the, to get a little uh, uh, far out, uh, uh, the lost city of Atlantis, um, uh, and also I'm curious about uh, what your opinion is of the uh, Billy Meyer experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll hang up and just listen to those three things. Billy Meyer, Pleiades, and Atlantis. Thank you. All right. Uh, when I first got into this, uh, what they call ufology, uh, I found out that to be accepted by the, uh, the uh, mainstream, you had to uh, uh, disregard Billy Myers, Adamski, George Adamski, uh, Howard Menger, and, and various contactees. But when I started really looking into it, all those guys were telling the truth. 
during my eyes, I even went on TV and I said it was a fraud. And, and six months later, I had to come back and say, hey, wait a minute, I've looked at this thing. I cannot find anybody who can tell me why it's a fraud. Uh, on the other hand, I can look at the moving pictures and say, that looks that looks real. And hear the interviews with Billy Myers and say, yes, yes, that did happen. I can't explain it. I don't know who they are. They say they come from the Pleiades. I have no reason to believe they didn't. Uh, uh, so, yes, I believe that the Billy Myers case is a true case. Uh, and that would probably answer your question of the Pleiades. They certainly fit into um, this question, how, I don't know exactly. And then the uh, the third question was uh, kind of thing. Art, do you remember? Uh, now I don't. Uh, well, Billy Meyer was, I believe, the third question. Billy Meyer and uh, the Pleiades and something else. I forgot. Well, okay. Now I have two. Um, I, I know Billy Meyer was the third question. I tried to hold on to that figure and you <laughs> tackle them in order. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to ask uh, my audience something, John. Uh, I'd like to give some of the people you talked about at the beginning of the program who have seen these craft, including Bob Lazar, an opportunity to call in. So I'm asking everybody on the first-time caller line to, uh, uh, to please uh, hold your calls. Please hold your calls, and if uh, Bob Lazar or any of the other people that John spoke about are out there, uh, please try to call us at area code 702-385-7213, uh, How does that sound, John? That sounds great. You know, Bob has taken so much flack from the uh, the public that, uh, you know, he's just he's real gun-shy, so I'm not sure whether he'll call in, but it should be nice. Well, perhaps not, but uh, it's a legitimate discussion we're having, and uh, I, I would hope he would decide to do so. Uh, Gee, Bob, uh, back to the time thing for a second now, if we might. Um, it, you're saying, A, it would be possible. Well, it's, it's not only possible. It, it happens quite often. I, I mean, this, this sounds really far out, but uh, it's known scientific fact that the closer you are to a strong gravity force, the slower time moves. Time, gravity, and space are all intertwined like that. In fact, there was a famous experiment that was done. Two synchronized atomic clocks were placed side by side. They were at the same time, and one was put at sea level. The other was put up at a, either in a plane or a high mountaintop. I don't recall which. And when they were brought back together, they both were at different times. That was because of the change in gravity. One was for the over to that area near the event horizon or somehow was able to survive it, spent a second there, you could come back to Earth and a billion years could have elapsed. You know, the, the time reference has completely changed. So the whole key is distorting gravity, creating a strong gravitational field, which, in fact, is how the crafts, these crafts they have at F4 are powered. And... Um, they bend uh, or jump through bends in space or create bends in space. How would you explain that, Bob? Well, they, they essentially create them. They're using uh, a device to artificially create gravity. This device, in turn, part of its nature, gravity distorts time and space. It bends space. It bends time. And this is how they this is how they travel. Uh, the discussion I got into John was, well, gee, you know, could it, is it possible to build something like that? Well, yeah, if you did have an antimatter reactor, a gravity amplifier, and 
somehow could contain the field so it wouldn't crush the occupant. And, uh, yeah, I guess I know where there's a gravity amplifier just not too many miles from here, huh? <laughs> right, getting it's the problem. <laughs> um, so if you could put your hands on something like that, that might be then one practical application of the alien technology. Well, is it that practical, though? <laughs> well, you could do that's a good question. something like that and could turn it on, sit in a chair. And uh, it, there's really, I don't see any way of going back, but theoretically there should be. Uh -huh. I, I did ask John this, and let me try it on you. He couldn't answer it, said I ought to ask you. If you could, uh, first of all, could a biological entity pass through a black hole um, without being disrupted or something? And if so, what would be on the other side, Bob? I don't know, and I don't, I don't believe anyone does know. Um, there just isn't enough information about black holes to, to come up with that answer. As a guess, you know, uh, you look at it from a physical standpoint, the gravitational tidal forces entering the black hole should absolutely obliterate anything that even comes near it. But, you know, stranger things have happened, and maybe not. So, so really, who knows? How much technology are you missing, aside from the gravity amplifier, uh, the ability uh, to make a time machine, or if that, in, in fact something that would cause you to travel through time? Uh, are we missing a lot of other technology, or given the gravity amp, could you go from there? Well, you don't even, you really don't even have to do that. Another way is, uh, you know, just accelerating close to the speed of light slows time also. Uh, that doesn't take any technology, so it's probably not the safest thing to do. Um, what would theoretically occur to somebody who either came came to... Is it possible, Bob, to exceed uh, uh, the speed of light in the physical universe without bending uh, uh, warping space to do it? No, it's not. No, no, it's not. As you got near the speed of light, what would occur in all likelihood to a biological entity? All kinds of things. First of all, it's not, it would, you know, because of several things that occur, one of them being is mass increase. As you approach the speed of light, you begin to increase in mass, and therefore it requires more energy to propel you further, or faster, rather. Uh, you kind of get stuck in a little loop there. Um, so then great distances really are never going to be traveled that way. No, they can't be. That... Uh, that just isn't practical on top of that. Uh, yeah, I, you can go on for a long time about that. It's not practical. It really isn't. Okay. Um, I guess you left the project with the discs at one point. Uh, you do our audience a great favor by describing in as much detail as you're able to what it is you saw and worked on, Bob. I worked on one particular craft um, that I called the sport model because of its very sleek appearance. Um, specifically, like I mentioned before, there was a small reactor that was removed from the craft, and we essentially back-engineered it. What we needed to do was find out not only how it worked, but... Uh, also very important to the project was to see if this technology could be duplicated. One of the main problems in uh, any kind of aircraft um, is power. And with a tremendous amount of power, you can basically do anything. 
and here's a reactor that operates, you know, many times more efficiently than a uh, a fission reactor or more efficiently than a, a fusion reactor, which we haven't even developed yet, um, you know, ever could. And it supplies a tremendous amount of power, and this is essentially where we decided to start from, was to work from here and then and go on. But uh, in all the time that they had this and the time that I spent there, the short time that I spent there, really is, there's just not a lot you can do. We just don't have the materials to duplicate it. Any ideas what this craft was made of, what kind of metal uh, or substance it was? Uh, I, I say it's metal just because I felt it. It felt cold. It had the appearance of metal. Um, the grain structure appeared to be uh, metal, but I don't know. I, you know, like I'm sure John has mentioned, the information is very compartmentalized. And could you describe the interior of the craft? Were you inside? Interior was very bare. There had been some equipment removed from it. Uh, there was a reactor. There were two seats. There were two consoles left, one large console. I call them a console. There was nothing on top. Uh, one of them was removed. Uh, I believe they're part of the gravity amplifiers that are connected directly underneath. Uh, they're in a triad formation. These are going to be some silly questions. Uh Bob, but were there windows? I mean, by what m manner could you see or understand any of the technology that was in front of you, normal buttons, switches, gauges, or... Really, really wasn't anything like that, uh, buttons and switches. There wasn't, it really wasn't even wiring. Um, I, I, I know that sounds really bizarre, but it, it really isn't that, <laughs> that strange. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the equipment, it almost appeared to be... Uh, something similar to a Tesla coil, the way, uh, <laughs> every time I hit on a topic, I have to regress, and sure, I understand what I'm talking about, but it almost seemed like every piece of equipment was tuned to whatever it was supposed to be receiving signals from, and it, uh, it was essentially electrical power transmission without wires, which is not something far out, that was something a, a man named Tesla accomplished in the 30s. Um, However, this seemed to be along the same lines, but much more advanced. Well, while we're on the subject, do you think mankind will ever manage to bring power from space to Earth uh, through some method or another? Is it, it's the same sort of technology, I presume. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's about the best I could say about that. Okay. Um, well, anyway, uh, back back to these. Uh, what was it like when you went into? I mean, I can only imagine. They would lead you in, uh, these guys with their little badges and so forth, and they would lead you into the area you were going to be working on these things, and you must have looked at them and said, you've got to be kidding. Well, I only got to physically view the craft twice. Once was when I went inside to see the placement of the parts that I was to be concentrating on. The other one was in a short flight test. Um, ah, ah, a flight test. I wasn't inside. I saw it from inside the hangar. And what did you see? Just lifted off the ground, almost silently. It had a slight hissing sound to it, um, and drifted. It was quite amazing. I mean, I speak of it nonchalantly right now, but uh, it's, you know, there again, this was several years ago. Wow. Um, 
you know, again, back uh, for a second to magnetism, uh, large magnetic fields have indeed done strange things. Do, do you um, recall anything of the story of the Philadelphia experiment? I've heard a lot about, a lot about it. And uh, I want to run things. Uh, this is an unusual opportunity, Bob, so I want to run something by you. Uh, I had a friend, somebody I regarded as truly honest and extremely credible, and he told me about an experiment uh, that he saw, participated in, in Arizona, in which a very extremely large electromagnetic uh, field was created. And he claims that, uh, that he saw something disappear. I mean, flat, completely, poof, disappear when exposed to this field. Is such a thing possible? Uh, well... That's kind of a loaded question. Is it possible for something to disappear when exposed to a large electromagnetic field? Yes. Do I think it, that happened during the Philadelphia experiment? No. Do I think that mankind right now is capable of doing that? No. There isn't sufficient power generated in the entire output of the planet at this time to create a field of that distortion. Wow. Uh, would the power plants... Uh, inside these disks be capable of that kind of generation? Yeah. Yes. What, uh, what, uh, what, what was the fuel of these uh, craft, Bob? Uh, there, there had to be there's some sort of fuel, energy burned, expended, used, right? Yeah, the uh, fuel was, well, let me address for a moment here that there are three types of nuclear reactions. One's a fission reaction, which everyone's familiar with. It's uh, essentially how atomic bombs work. It's a splitting of atoms and uh, causing a chain reaction. It releases X amount of energy. Another more efficient reaction is a fusion reaction, which releases a little more energy. Both of these, for instance, when put in bombs, whether the thermonuclear, the hydrogen bomb, or the fission bomb, an atomic bomb, they use about nine-tenths of one percent of that fuel gets converted into the actual explosive energy. Now, if you really think about that, when you're dealing with um, a plutonium bomb, for instance, you're dealing with, oh, somewhere on the order of about eight pounds of plutonium, which is about the size, it's a little bigger than a golf ball. Now, eight-tenths of one percent of that makes that giant explosion that you see. All the other material is wasted. That's how efficient that explosion is. Mm -hmm. Now, an annihilation reaction, which is a conversion, a, the direct conversion of matter to energy is 100% efficient all the time. And you can see if, um, if that were put into a bomb. I made a tape explaining this. So I didn't have to. Can, so you didn't have to explain it all the time to people like me. Right. I, you know, I didn't get stuck on the radio. All right. As long as we're in the categories of fusion, I, I want to ask one more uh, question in that category, and it has to do with cold fusion. A uh, number of people, even some very recent claims of the creation of cold fusion. Uh, is it going to be possible, uh, Bob, do you think, eventually to have a cold fusion process? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. I'll, I'll make a bet on it right now. Absolutely not. 
So what was it that these a lot of power for it? What was it that yeah? What was it that these scientists came up with that caused the bubbling and the heating and the you know the the apparent uh, creation of energy? Any idea what it was? I, I'm sticking with Los Alamos's explanation. Was essentially an electrochemical uh, reaction that took place. Uh, did fusion occur? No. There was far far too many experiments done that uh, supposedly duplicate experiments. And, uh, I mean, these yielded no results at all. Uh, and the physics behind it don't make any sense either. All right. The, uh, again, going back to the disks, the, the fuel they use apparently is element something or another uh, that goes beyond our table of elements. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, element 115. There's not an absolute definite, but that's what it appears to be. Element 115. 114. Chances are it's 115. And um, interestingly enough, it's a stable element, and I was familiar with the way that periodic table works, the way elements go. Uh, as they get higher and higher on the periodic chart, they become less and less stable and begin to decay. But uh, this is a stable element. And again, this isn't something that's a total surprise. I mean, we've known all the way since the 50s and, well, probably the 60s. Uh, that somewhere there's a magic combination of protons and neutrons that, again, somewhere in the higher elements will make a stable element. And apparently that does happen up at that level. Have you had your hands on any 115, Bob? I have had my hands very close to it. Is there any 115 that exists outside of S4 now? You don't have to answer all of these, Bob. <laughs> Who knows? Let me, since I've got the two of you on the line, uh, what would you say is your greatest area of agreement, the two of you? That we live in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, that makes the next one then very easy. Are going to say that I'm not? No, no, I, I'm just kidding around. I, uh, John has a lot. I essentially have cut off whatever I haven't had contact with. So there can be talks of reptilian-like aliens or abductions and things like that. And I know there's lots of evidence that, that people were abducted, and uh, I did see the thing on Fox the other day with a guy that got burned on him, and that's, that's all interesting. But right. it, it's something strange that happens to you once you've been actually involved with something. You kind of put blinders on to the rest of the world, and now you only want to deal with something that you physically had hands-on experience with. Oh, very much like what I said earlier, and you've had hands-on one of these discs. Uh, have you hey, ever seen... Oh, I, now I'm kind of taking the attitude some people take towards me, but I'm not doing it on purpose. I, well, you know, if I actually get abducted, then I'll start believing that, and that's... You know, but, I don't but, but, but I'm that way, but that's, that's just the way I think. Well, yeah, but Bob, why, having had your hands on a disc, are you not easily uh, able to make the leap to the, the grays or the blacks or any of the other 80, uh, 80 supposed uh, uh, varieties of aliens in terms of accepting their existence? Well, these, I'm sure there are other civilizations all over the place. I just... I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen evidence of other civilizations. I guess. Are you absolutely convinced that those discs and that technology uh, did not come from or originate here on Earth? Oh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, unless they were robots, somebody brought them here. Then. 
Oh, certainly, you know, some form of other creature had to have brought them here. There's no doubt about that. Um, I just don't know if there are a hundred different civilizations visiting Earth. I don't know if a hundred other civilizations could find it. <laughs> um, it's, it's possible. I just, I just shy away from that. All right, this sounds then like an area of disagreement between the two of you. Uh, I really can't take a stance on it because I don't know. This is just a personal feeling. You, you sort of are cautious, though, in commenting in that area. Sure. Uh, what would you two say is the biggest disagreement you have regarding all of this? Would that be it, or is there some other area? I I don't know. You'd have to ask John. How about it, John? I don't think we have. Uh, I can't think of a real disagreement. So no real disagreements. All right, gentlemen, um, I would. Uh, I'm going to do my best to hold on to you for a while here, if I can, Bob, uh, and maybe even take a few calls. You up for that kind of thing? Are, are you up, or are you ready to go to sleep? <laughs> sleep is kind of on my priority list there. Is it? Uh, can you give me a few more minutes? Sure. All right, very good. Then uh, both of you stand by. What a, what a distinct pleasure. Uh, Bob Lazar and, uh, and John Lear, uh, both here, both uh, together uh, again. I guess they are frequently. And uh, we'll get them back on the air together here in a moment. Southwest, I'm Art Bell, and uh, Bob Lazar and John Lear are both with me at the moment. Back to them we go. Uh, gentlemen, you're on the air once again. Thank you, Art. Good morning. Uh, Bob, while we've still got you, uh, you know, after you've gone through all this, this disaster uh, that's been what? How long has this been going on now, Bob? Uh, for a couple of years now? Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, is there anything you want to say to everybody about having gone through all this? I mean, would you do it again? Would you go public again? Or would you say, boy, I'd no more open my mouth than the man in the moon? I don't know. It's a tough call. It's something that has to be decided on, you know, as, as things are happening. But at the, given the same set of circumstances, I probably would have done the same thing, perhaps a little different. Given the same set of circumstances, I probably would have done the same thing, perhaps a little different. Uh, a lot of magazines are writing a lot of things about both of you. Uh, do you find they generally get it right, or is it exaggerated uh, baloney that most of them print? Well, most of the people don't have access to the information, and I'm part of the problem. I don't do interviews. I don't do talk shows. I don't... I don't go on to lectures. I just don't do anything. Um, and I'm constantly being hounded for information. Uh, so without the information, they tend to make some of it up, probably. Well, so some of the information has come out, especially in George Knapp's special. I, I you know, that's why I essentially spilled my guts, said everything that happened to me, and kind of want to... Uh, wanted to really leave it at that. The technical information I made a tape about for the people that really wanted to know the nitty-gritty and left it at that, and, and that was it. And, you know, people would look through those two things. You know, everything essentially that I experienced and happened was was contained within those two things. Um, but, you know, inevitably things get screwed up and uh, a lot of hearsay and there's an awful 99.9% uh, .9 of the UFO community is uh, are crazy. These, these people are just absolutely out of their minds and I really want to have nothing to do with them. And uh, they're 
they're tied in with, I mean, all kinds of strange factions of groups, and uh, yeah, it, it's really impossible to weed out any real information coming from most of these sources, these magazines, and even the larger groups. So I really have to stay away from it, and that gets people upset and thinks I'm trying to, you know, hide things from them, and I'm called government agents and stuff like that, and uh, it's, you know, the, the list is never-ending. Um, 99 and 9 tenths percent of thoughts? Perhaps more. Um, with your continued association then with John Lee, I take it you view him in one of the uh, top or very small percentage points of those who may be on to something? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really associate John Lee does his own thing, and I, you know, I, I don't. John, uh, comment? No, we, we have uh, some of my ideas are put out because I'm not a scientist. Bob is a scientist. He dealt with things that, that he saw with, worked with, were proven to him. Uh, to me, it's you know all I'm dealing with is, is, is speculation. Well, to the casual I've heard, and uh, and that's what I'll deal with. Well, exactly. But to the casual observer, somebody like me, everything you told me, John, about uh, how they travel, what means of propulsion, uh, uh, the kind of creatures they are, all the rest of this sort of thing, uh, is is underwritten or strengthened by what Bob Lazar says. Uh, I mean, don't you realize that Bob, you're saying I saw the disc. Yes, they exist. Well, yeah, the, the information, like I said, the only information I know are the technical aspects of the craft. And that information John has, we've talked about that, and he understands it, and the information that he relays like that is absolutely correct, and I, I'll verify that. I, I actually got to work with that stuff. Um, I don't know... You know, I, aliens didn't take me to their planet. I don't have proof where they came from. I don't know how any deal was cut. I don't know about abductions. I don't know about all that other stuff. Listen to me. We've got to stop here. I've got a newscast I've got to do. Please stay around just a little while longer, will you, Bob? Sure. All right. Stay uh, right there. To Coast AM with Art Bell, live on the CBC Radio Network. To call the show locally, dial 383-8255. 383-8255. To call toll-free all across the West, dial 1-800-338-8255. The wild card direct lines are area code 702-385-7214. 385-7214. And finally, if you've never called the show before, try the first-time caller line at 702-385-7213. We invite you to participate on the Talk of the West Tagon and the CBC Network. When your call is answered, please turn your radio down. Each caller will be allowed up to three minutes, giving more listeners a chance to join in.
Bob Lazar. You're both back on the air again. Okay. Well, um, this is all flooring me a bit, but it's fun. <laughs> I'd like to say it's really a privilege to be on with Bob. I, you know, he is my friend, but he just never goes on any of these interviews, and uh, it's, it's just really nice to, to have him on for once, too. He doesn't back me up on everything, but he does back me up on, on the stuff that he saw. Well, let's try a question on you here. That's a very nice compliment for Bob. If Bob Lazar did get the, the equipment or the technology and ever did build a time machine, would you sit in it while he pulled the switch? Sure. You would? <laughs> I think he would, Bob. You know, it's, it's strange. I've, I get a lot of letters from people, and uh, there have been a, quite a few people that really think that I have a time machine. And I, w I would really like to know how this got started. I mean, there were people with honest requests wanting to know how much that I would charge them. They need to go back to the 50s to rescue their, their brother from being killed or something like that. And, they, you know, I really have to make it clear. I, I really don't have a time machine, and I don't possess the technology to make one either. Right. Well, uh, please don't, don't write to me asking that. Well, there is this, though, Bob. If you had uh, built a time machine using some of that technology, um, would you be likely to admit it? <laughs> that may give you some clue as to why people think that you may have it, even though you say you don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to do it all taken, I guess. <laughs> I would like to uh, take just a couple of calls just for the fun of it, uh, and let's see if uh, anybody has any questions. Yeah, listen, I, before we do, can I just tell the report, try to get a hold of this tape that Bob put out, because he won't advertise himself, but no, I think it's important that if you do want to know uh, about this technology and what Bob's uh, up at the test site, he does have a videotape available, and you can write to Corporation. That's T-R-I-D-O-T, Tri-Dot Corporation, 1324 South Eastern, and that's in Las Vegas, and it's Las Vegas 89104, and the price is $29.95 plus $3 shipping and handling. And uh, if you want to know about this stuff, you just can't make a better investment. I know Bob doesn't advertise this very much, but I think it's really important. Yeah, there's going to be another one, too, isn't there, Bob? Uh, you know, it's kind of in the works, and but that uh, tape was a lot of people that viewed the first tape. It, it was, it's a technical tape, but it's made for the layman to understand all the technology and how, how it works. And uh, there's just been a request for a tape that goes heavy into the physics. Uh, a lot of technical people, scientists, and that sort of thing, uh, want all the specifics exactly, formulas and things along those lines, and uh, that's what the second tape will probably cover. Uh, I'm not really sure about that yet. Nothing's been done with it. And uh, it what kind of technology would that give away? Well, really, we're just talking about the uh, how specifically the amplifiers work. Uh, Things along those lines. With, with the knowledge, uh, Bob, of roughly how they work, would it be possible for somebody on this earth uh, to, to eventually, do you feel, build or duplicate that technology and build something that would do what that PowerPoint does? Well, it's just a matter of having access to certain materials. Um, 
with some super heavy elements, such as element 115, um, with the proper materials, we could absolutely build it. Uh, the technology is not millions of years ahead of us. Uh, you're looking at technology that's maybe hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of us. It's not that phenomenal. It really isn't. Uh, a lot of people, you know, technology that's maybe hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of us. It's not that phenomenal. It really isn't. Uh, a lot of people you know, talk about it being even billions of years, and it, it really isn't. This technology is not that far-fetched once you get your hands around it. So it is quite feasible that we could eventually duplicate these systems, but not with materials that we have readily available right now. There'd have to be another source for these materials. Uh, I mean, I asked this uh, of, of John, and it's an elementary quite answer, that came up with a good answer nevertheless. Uh, I heard an astrologer uh, who said that the sun, uh, over the last two months, Bob, has lost roughly one-tenth of one percent of its output. Now, while I guess the output of the sun, which is a nuclear dynamo, it does vacillate a little bit. This seems to that person somewhat worrisome. Uh, any, any comments on that? I wouldn't be really concerned. I mean, the sun has a tremendous hydrogen supply, which is being, the fusion reaction is being converted to helium, and uh, you don't really have to be concerned about anything running out for probably about 5 billion years, and then at that point, there'll be some pretty dramatic changes. There's no real problem that could develop in it, causing enough of a, a drop to, to affect us ecologically. Oh, as a matter of fact, when the sun begins to run out of fuel, it's going to swell. <laughs> so it's not going to burn out uh, like a candle. All right, uh, we've got just a couple calls here. We are a talk show. Um, Wild Card Line 3, we're on the uh, Coast to Coast end of the uh, Art Bell, John Lee, and Bob Bazaar. Ah, I'm a good, 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 good. Where are you calling from, sir? Uh, I'll tell you. Most of us, all right. All right. What I wanted to uh, ask about um, the doctors and the alien technology was uh, they must operate off of some type of uh, communication frequency. Is it any uh, way possible to put together some sort of a transmitter so that uh, one could uh, start putting out a, a, a signal to them? All right, that's a good question. Uh, Bob, any insights uh, into whatever communications capabilities they have? Well, what bothers me with the communication, and of course there must be some in the craft, is that because of the gravitational field, everything is going to be distorted around the craft, whether it's radio waves, whether it's light waves. And in fact, someone had asked earlier uh, how craft, I think they have how craft seemingly disappears or underneath it. Well, this again is characteristic of the gravity amplifier that it actually pulls light around it. For instance, I even mentioned in my tape that uh, there are stars that are behind the sun, where the sun actually blocks our view, and we can see those stars. The reason why is the sun has a tremendous amount of gravity, pulls the light from the star up and around the sun so we can see it. Hmm. In these disks, when they're operating, if they're in something called an Omicron configuration, if you're standing underneath the disk, you can't see it. You can only see the sky above it by the way light is bent around the craft. Now, the way I 
understand this to envelop the craft. I can't see how radio waves can get into the craft. And it's, that's something that's puzzled me for a while. So there must be some other form of communication. Would the gravity amplifiers themselves possibly provide the key to the kind of communication they use? In other words, something... Uh, propelled or moved through time or space or both uh, with the same technology. In other words, each new technology, lasers, for example, can be modulated, and uh, and you can use light to, uh, uh, to to pass voice. And so I wonder if their technology might have any of the key uh, to their communications. It's quite possible. quite possible there is something called, <laughs> along the lines of a gravity phone, yeah. something that John and I have spoke about in, in depth. Um, that it essentially is a gravity amplifier with a modulated output and it is received. Um, again, you know, this is just a, an educated guess, but uh, it's certainly possible. But as far as it being a frequency you can turn in or transmit, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anything along those lines that uh, the crafts would receive. So then the communications might be every bit as uh, advanced or different, uh, would be a better way to put it, than anything we're familiar with traditional RF frequencies. Probably, because they're traveling such tremendous distances, uh, the craft would get there years before their transmission did. So they can't use regular radio transmission. They have to use something that actually bends time and space. Yeah, one would think that uh, any insight into that at all might one the ability eventually then to communicate, if not travel to these creatures, but that communicate with the, the point of origin. Right, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wildcard Line 2, you're on the uh, Coast to Coast AM with the group. Hello, are you there? Yeah. Let's uh, uh, turn the radio off, number one. Okay, okay. I've been trying to get through this for a long time. Where are you coming from? Calling in from Las Vegas. All right. Go ahead. Uh, the first question is, uh, this directed to John Mayer. Do aliens have philosophy about their own career or creation? Uh, number two, the supercar that is to be built in Texas, is that going to give any clear to their uh, technological advances? All right, well, there's a question for each one of us. What are they really the philosophy? And uh, I'd like to hear Bob's answer on the supercar. I've heard many people say, oh, they're, they're big enough to, to make 115, and I never asked Bob about it. Element 115. Bob, uh, what about, what can you tell us about the Super Collider? Well, I, to be honest with you, I don't know a whole lot about the Super Collider. Uh, I, I do know the basic plan and, uh, you know, what they're, what they're attempting to do. Um, is it going to be used to make 115? No. It, you know, again, this if you're going to assemble an incredibly heavy element like that, uh, other elements that we've synthesized up to 109, uh, and that hasn't been really documented, uh, but these have been put in accelerators for an incredibly long time at, 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 a, at a tremendous cost of electrical power, and you know we essentially have a yield of one or two atoms of the substance. If you're talking about something much higher than that, like an element 115, it's just inconceivable. You'd have to have this tremendous thing running at full power for decades (laughs) to to wind up with with several atoms uh, of a substance, if it can be done. I've always contended that 
115 has got to, uh, it, it, it must have been naturally created. Right on top of another break, and gee whiz, there's just not enough time to say goodbye, so I get you a to stand by. <laughs> Both of you, that's known as the tricks of the trade. You're listening to the CBC VR Network right back. Uh, he was told that the term believers 
regarding the neutrino, are you familiar with that at all? I'm familiar with the neutrino, but not the experiment they're conducting. Oh, really? Well, uh, I suggest that you get that article in the Los Angeles Times and the very enlightening. I was uh, uh, curious if you uh, were able to make any uh, connection between the, the uh, neutrino and the uh, Gillian Gillian experiment that's being done by what's called SAGE, S-A-G-E. What, what, what specifically were the Russians doing? Well, it's a uh, combination uh, uh, Soviet and uh, uh, U.S. experiment. Uh, 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 I was hoping you could answer the question, but um, uh, uh, I think they're looking for subatomic matter. Alright, like quarks and things of that sort? Yes. Uh, Alright, thank you. Is, is that the purpose of, uh, one of the purposes of the accelerator in Texas for Bill? Well, that's certainly one of them. Uh, it, it's kind of a useful tool. There are a lot of things you can do with an accelerator on the subatomic level, but certainly one of them is uh, the building blocks would actually compromise with protons and neutrons and uh, looking at the different flavors, as they say, of quarks and uh, other subatomic particles that only exist in areas of extreme energy and only come into an exist, uh, only will in existence at the very creation of the universe. So in exploring the subatomic world, you're kind of looking back in time. Bob, again, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a physicist, but I heard uh, also from this astronomer, perhaps a person who looked at him earlier, that we are from time to time able to detect neutrinos from the sun here on Earth. Is that correct? Well, first of all, our neutrino detectors aren't really worth very much. Um, but, yeah, neutrinos, neutrinos are not only produced by the sun, but we can detect them. Neutrinos will go clear through the Earth. In fact, it's theorized that uh, a light year of lead I mean, it's like somewhere on the order of six trillion miles of lead would not stop a neutrino. Um, that's why I was interested to see what, what experiments the Russians were, were doing with neutrinos, since it'd be very hard to interact them with any matter. Well, the further comment was there was worry uh, that they have not been detecting as many neutrinos as they once did, and this was some sort of source of worry. Well, neutrinos really don't do any. I would find it difficult for it to be a source of what happens when you collide with a black hole. That's, that's the only problem. As far as the antimatter explanation, uh, I, I think they've almost ruled that out because there would be some residual uh, byproducts of that reaction that, that could probably still be detected today. But uh, there again, it, it's an after the fact. It was a long time ago. I think it was... Uh, in 1918, maybe 1934, that just slips my mind. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's fascinating. Uh, line 3 in Las Vegas, you're on the air, coast to coast with, with uh, the group here. Good morning, Las Vegas Line 3. I guess not, gentlemen. Las Vegas Line 1, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, uh, my question is directed to Mr. Lear, and it has to do with the way the aliens communicate. I had an experience many years ago where um, 
I received a message. Uh, it was a wordless knowing. Uh, you had one message as a guest, and I heard him speak of that. Uh, uh, it's a, uh, the only way I can describe it is a wordless knowing. A wordless knowing might be described uh, as intuition. Well, uh, I always thought it was a message from uh, either the Creator or the Savior or a guardian angel. Uh, however, uh, just listening to this program tonight, I think possibly it could be an alien because they communicate telepathically. And that's, I think, what this was. And it, by the way, it was a kind and helpful uh, uh, knowledge. Uh, I was following it. Two, you're on the uh, Coast to Coast AM with uh, the group. Hello, Mark, California. Yes. Good morning, Mr. Lear. I'm Dr. Lazar. Oh, yeah. Hi. I'm doctor, one... by the way. Uh, well, well. Degrees to me mean doctors unless you have a temperature. I see. <laughs> uh, my first question is for Mr. Lear. I'd like the, um, where I could get a information on that hands-off law regarding intact UFOs, fragments, and the occupants. Well, I'm glad you asked that because I just pulled out uh, thinking that somebody would call. And it is 14 CFR 1211 of the Code of Federal Regulations. And what it says is uh, anyone who sees it and approaches a UFO and is able to touch the object may be liable for $5,000 Wait a minute. Have you been fined, Bob? <laughs> no, I've never heard of this before. What are you reading this from, John? From the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, 14 CFR 1211. It's uh, supposed to be touching UFOs. And it says what if you have touched the UFO? Yeah. Anybody who sees or approaches a UFO or touches the object may be liable for a $5,000 fine and or a year in prison if he or she does not submit to detention. See, Bob, just I submit it to detention. <laughs> I'm going to say just one more insult. I have a couple of questions for uh, Mr. Lazar. Very quickly. Uh, do you think the recent advances in ceramic metal technology will be used in a Buffard Ramjet project? And the last question is, are uh, biometals being developed for use in data storage and retrieval as well as espionage? All right, thank you. Uh, can you handle that, Bob? Well, as far as what biometals are, are using, being used for, I, I don't know. I know very little about them. Um, what was the first question? Well, I, I couldn't possibly regurgitate that. Um, you should answer that one first because I uh, gave the answer to that one. Well, you had that one. Uh, Hold on. Uh, all right, think about it. Listen, folks, uh, Bob, I'm only going to request that I have you for about seven more minutes if I can have you that long. And then we'll do the last hour with John. Bob, it's been such an honor. Uh, both of you stand by for a second. Uh, and we'll do that and we'll do this. Night time from Las Vegas. I'm Art Bell with John Lear. Bob Lazar. Las Vegas, on the 
individually, Bob Lazar and John Lear, with us together this morning. And uh, let's quickly go back to them, because we don't have a whole lot of time here. Uh, gentlemen, you're back on the air again, and I'll give you a final moment. I just want to get one more call in here, and I'll give you a final, final moment to uh, get a plug in for where to get that tape. Uh, in a moment. Uh, good morning. Uh, you're on the air coast-to-coast -coast AM with what I now call the group. Where are you calling from, please? Thank you, Lord. I'm calling from San Fernando, Mexico. Mexico, okay. This is indeed an honor and a pleasure. Uh, I had the opportunity to catch John and Bob in August when they were on the air. And uh, listening to that show uh, gave me shivers for a couple reasons. In 1989, I had an experience uh, in the mountains of New Mexico, which, uh, after viewing some objects in the sky, I started to write down some things in the following days. One of the things that I drew was uh, something like a sphere with uh, almost uh, an ethereal ring around it or a field around it, and wrote down... Uh, an aspect of folding and bending space. I, I wrote down seven other aspects, and then when I listened to your show in August, and Bob Lazar, I ordered your tape immediately after that, and it, 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 it put shivers and chills to me. All right, this is the first time Bob's ever been on the air with me that I'm aware of, anyway. Um, uh, but indeed, uh, John was here and talked uh, about Bob. So. Well, well, there was another gentleman with John that, that yes. Uh, yes, that's right. with the imaging uh, program. That's right. With NASA, I believe. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, one of the aspects that I wanted to uh, ask uh, Bob Lazar about, uh, if he had any opportunity to uh, read or view any documents about the energy, uh, one of the things that I... Yeah, we've been a hurry here, sir. Okay. Uh, there's like a telepathic communication with the aliens that seems to come through the DNA strands that goes from one ring to the other. This is an image that came through, and I was just wondering if, uh, if Bob had any information on that. All right. Uh, how about it, Bob? No, nothing uh, pertaining to any form of communication or imaging coming through the DNA strands. Nothing, nothing along those lines. Actually, we squeeze one more in. Good morning. You're on the air. Coast to Coast Dan with uh, Art Bell, John Lear, and Bob Lazar. Where are you calling from, please? Scottsdale. Scottsdale, Arizona. Go ahead. Hi. I believe if I understand the idea, it, it is that um, we are, the souls on Earth are kind of imprisoned in, on Earth, and, and um, when the bodies die, we go somewhere, the aliens keep us somewhere, and then we come back to the bodies. Is that right, you guys? Roughly, yeah. Okay, um, well, my question is, is what do you guys think about the idea if someone could move a planet, you know, on a spaceship or something, and they died, then what would happen to their soul? I mean, would they be free in the sense of the prison that, that apparently, you know, all right, we'll have to hold there. Anybody want to tackle that? Of course. Good question. Yeah, <laughs> no comment. And good question. All right, uh, we're so out of time. One, I want to say it has been an honor, Bob Lazar, to have you here this morning. Thank you. And I know you've got to get to bed. And so, uh, quickly, uh, John, give out the address. Okay, it's uh, for the tape, Bob Tate. Yes, uh -huh. R-Dot Corporation, that's T-R-I-D-O-T Corporation, 1324, 1324 Southeastern. And that's Las Vegas, 89104. 
a machine that, uh, and I'm, I'm not quite a scientifically oriented, but uh, the best, to the best of my knowledge, you could put in something like one volt on going in, and the machine would produce like 1.5 or 2 volts or 10 volts or whatever. And hadn't you gone on Johnny Carson or something? Yeah. He was. Mm -hmm. and I was wondering uh, if either Mr. Wheeler or Lazar, Lazar uh, would know anything about that and why it was never, you know, it seemed to be just quashed. Uh -huh. It's Lazar and he's now gone. But John, do you have any comments on that? In other words, more output than input? No, oh, it's just, uh, I don't have any comment, but that's one of the things I like hanging around by. Uh, if he gets to the bottom and he tells you immediately whether it's BS or not. All right. The person you wanted is now gone, sir. Okay, but the, uh, what I, I was given to understand was that, uh, you know, this was like physically impossible, but yet, um, you know, it had been studied by a number of scientists and nobody could quite disprove it as well as the gentleman going on. I think most legitimate scientists would uh, look at it very warily. Uh, you generally just don't get more out of an inner device than you do uh, when, you, when you put in. Okay, well, thank you for the program. I enjoy it. Thank you very much for the call. Good morning. And line one, you're on your coast-to-coast -coast AM with our phone, John Lear. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Lear, I have uh, two or three questions uh, for you. Um, you were talking about time travel a little while ago, and you mentioned it also on the last program that uh, they actually had conducted a successful experiment. Uh, on your last, last program, you indicated that, uh, that it may not have been anybody from this earth. Well, I'm uh, uh, fine. Uh, my question, though, is um, are you uh, familiar with the uh, Rainbow Project, the uh, Montau Project, and uh, the, the uh, Phoenix Project? Uh, just vaguely. So, uh, is that the fact that I'll be with that tonight? Exactly. Yeah, the Philadelphia Experiment. Now, what I wanted to... Uh, I mean, I've been reading these books, uh, talking about that, and the things are just so fantastic uh, in there that he traveled uh, 40 years uh, into the future from 1943 to 1983 and then back again to 43, and this is all a result of uh, attempts to uh, make a battleship uh, destroyer, I guess it was, invisible, the USS Olympus, and uh, as a result, uh, not only did it Invisible, but it went through time and space, and so I was wondering what your opinion on that is, if you have one at all, on your credibility. All right, thank you. I'm not inclined to believe it. I try to stick to kind of nuts and bolts and things I can see and stuff that Bob told me, and I just don't. I know Al, and I haven't talked to him very much about that, but I just. I just, I just don't believe it. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air coast to coast AM with John Mayer and Art Bell. Good morning. Hi. I have two questions. All right. Um, you said, mentioned something about when you die, your soul goes to heaven. And the aliens, uh, no, I'm sorry. When you die, the aliens take your soul to another planet. Mm, no, I, no, see, how did you hear all that? Um... John, tell them what you know about souls and containers and such. You know, it's, it's just theory that, that supposedly the aliens refer to as containers. Now, if, if by saying containers they mean that 
we can kill the soul, then obviously they're doing experiments with the soul. And when you die, supposedly, they collect the soul and they put it in another container. Now, I don't know that to be true. Well, see, I mean, I did hear really you say that. I just, is there anything I can read about that? I did, I did. Is there anybody who's uh, written anything good about this, John? Uh, Wilton Schuler uh, discusses that. Uh, Is he who? In his books. Who spells last name? Strieber. S-T-R. Strieber. Listen, sir, he'll spell it for you. S-T-R-E-I-B-E-R. Whitley Strieber. He's written two or three books. Okay, the other question was... Is there, I know this is all speculation stuff, so, but is there any uh, speculation about there being like an alien culture that's non-violent with no state structure? I don't, I don't know anything about that. You know anybody talk about that? All right, nor have I. Is that it, sir? Yeah, thanks. All right, thank you. Um, hey, John, you just have to wonder where some of this stuff comes from. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let me see here. Uh, Wildcard line three on the Coast to Coast AM with Rob. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Please follow us on all our social medias at FoggyJack13. Also, make sure you subscribe to YouTube and to our Patreon. Hope to see you all next time down in the pumpkin patch. Thank you. Goodbye, and blessed be.